The field is set for the Lexus Melbourne Cup. Ready to run. Stand by for a start. Takes crash, and they're racing in the Melbourne Cup. A pretty good line. G'day, I'm Corey Brown. Over the next eight weeks, I'm going to be chatting to some of the best trainers and jockeys in the world. They've all played a part in Australia's greatest horse race, the Melbourne Cup. That first Tuesday in November, when all eyes head to Flemington to see all 24 horses and jockeys take on the 3,200 metres. It's been run 160 times, and last year was a first. It was run without a crowd. What a ride! What a win! I've come second twice, I've come third twice, and I've also fallen in the race. Either way, it's an absolute honour to ride in the Lexus Melbourne Cup and to stand up and listen to that national anthem. It's like competing for your country. Descending over Flemington. And he stormed away to win the Melbourne Cup by a widening three and a half lengths. Damien Oliver and Lee Friedman combined for their second win of the race. Philando, the leader, Dane Ripper getting up on the inside. Dane Ripper, the mayor, a boil over in the Cox Plate. Dane Ripper wins nearly a length on the line. Two Philando, third in the photo is Viali. Puzzle, three lengths in front. This is the one that Damien's wanted. This is the one that he's riding. Jason and Media Puzzle goes to the line to win the Melbourne Cup. Damien stands high in the irons, salutes the heavens. That's for Jason. Here we are with one of Australia's absolute best, Damien Oliver. Welcome to the show, mate. How you been? Thanks for having me on, Brownie. How's the battle down there in Melbourne? Yeah, we're back to um, gateway to hypothermia again today. You know, it's uh, freezing, about eight degrees. But um, that's Melbourne. You know, you can uh, you get all sorts of uh, weather here. If you don't like it, just wait a minute. <laughs> all right, mate, let's go back to the start. Um, I know you're born and bred into a racing family, um, but when did the passion really start to sort of hit home and you wanted to ride in races? Um, well, look, I had uh, ponies as a kid growing up, um, you know, probably from about the age of six. Um, I had a stepbrother, same age as me. And I had an older brother, a few years older as well. And um, we'd often have pony races and, um, you know, we'd be riding around our ponies, racing one another and using branches as or twigs as whips and that sort of thing. And that led into some track work. I think I started riding track work when I was about probably seven or eight, not really having much control, but um, <laughs> the horses were sort of taking me around. But um, but I did a lot of other sport. You know, I like BMX and a bit of surfing, AFL footy. Um, I was probably more keener on other sports and racing, but it was always there in the background having ridden from a young age. And, and it was probably when my brother, a few years older than me, started having some success as a jockey. And he was probably 15, I was probably 12. And, and as he went on a little bit older, you know, had a little bit of a, had, a, had the nice cars, the nice clothes, the nice girlfriend. I thought, oh, this, this looks like it could be a job for me. <laughs> this could be for me, this one. <laughs> Uh, well, mate, do you remember starting, obviously, um, first ride, like my first ride in the race, I had a race for, actually, it's a great introduction to racing, I had a race for to, to start me racing and to finish it, so how did you kick off, mate? <laughs> um, yeah, my first ride was at a place called Bunbury, about two hours south of Perth, 
Uh, grew up in WA, obviously, and um, yet uh, it was. I can remember it quite well, actually. I, my brother was riding in the race, and I knew all the other jockeys. And you know, my brother was looking out for me. He said, "Oh, you know, he's having his first ride. Look out for him, boys." And, um, and it was kind of weird. It, it felt like it was in slow motion. Um, but um, didn't have my first ride to my tenth winner. It was at Bunbury once again. Um, my brother got me the ride. It was a horse called Mr. Gudbod. It was about 70 to 1. Um, I don't think he wanted to ride it and no one else could win it. I managed to win it. I think the horse sort of just took control of me. Um, but, uh, yeah, so that was uh, my first early memories of racing. Good skills. Now, Ollie, you've ridden some really, really good horses over the years. Um, and it's going to be hard to single them out, but can you give me your best sprinter, miler and stayer? Out of all those champions, yeah, you know? you're right. It is hard to even single them out, even in those categories. But um, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll mention a few in each category, and you know, it's 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 hard to compare them from different eras. But some of the best sprinters are the likes of probably Scalacci, uh, Alinghi, your old mate Apache Cat, um, Falvalon, Testarossa. You know, they're, they're probably you know the best horses sprinters. You know, maybe up to a mile. Some of those. Um, and then probably, you know, I kind of go part after a mile after that with the, some of the better ones I rode. So horses like um, Fiorente, Doremus, Norderley, Naturalism, although I didn't have the best success on him. Um, Mick Dittman probably rode him at, at his peak, but I rode him a bit, bit before and, and after. Um, and I rode a very good horse in Japan. Um, he was Japan Cup winner called Zeno Rob Roy. Um, he um, he might have been came out and stood one season out here at Stud, I think, during the EI, so he didn't get a great opportunity. But he was um, Sunday Silence also had a, a lot of time for as well. So, you know, off the top of my head, they're probably some of the bet, better ones that I've ridden for sure. Old naturalism, I think, um, Mickey Dittman gave him back to you in a wheelchair, didn't he? He gave him all banged up after the <laughs> Cox Plate one year. Yeah, yeah. Well, I rode him as a three-year-old and he was pretty raw and I I, I – I got beaten the derby where Kingy just put me back in a pocket on him and um, I sort of lost the ride. I was pretty young at the time, so I was probably um, – it was fair enough they put Mick on him, more experienced jockey at the time. I was a bit I was a bit devoted at the time. but um, And Mick had a great run with him, winning a lot of races. So I fell, fell, of course, in a Cox Plate, but second, a, a brave second in the Japan Cup. And, and then he – I think I rode him in his second trip. That, that, that Japan Cup trip really – as you said, I think took the stuffing out of him, and he, he came back. He was still at. I got a very memorable race. He he drove between the Phantom and the Phantom Chance one day at Caulfield, and they sort of squeezed me up, and he forced his way through. That was a very memorable race. Um, I think it was the Caulfield Stakes or something like that. But uh, he was a great old horse, and um, yeah, a bit of an old warrior. But yeah, I think um, Mick saw the best of him. I, I had him when he was a bit raw and young, and and probably when the tyres were a bit flat as he got a bit old too. Ollie, you touched on Japan. Um, I mean, you've ridden all over the world. I mean, of course, Australia's home. You love riding here, but where else have you enjoyed riding and jockeys that you've ridden with? Yeah, um, probably more so through Asia. I probably had a little bit more success in ridden. I, I spent probably around a year in Hong Kong, give or take, you know, with a few different stints. Um, I love the riding there, but I wasn't a big fan of living in Hong Kong. It just, um, I was pretty young when I was there. I was maybe in my early 20s and I was on my own and I was missing my mates and just going out with my friends and having a game of golf and surfing and that sort of thing. So, yeah, I, I probably, if I had my career again, I would have liked to go on there when I was a little bit older. Um, but I had some good success there, um, you know, winning um, more, more than the international races, actually. Um, 
I, I won on Falville on a couple of sprints, won on State Taj at a Hong Kong Cup, you know, back in the late 90s. Um, I think it came second in the three international races there one day. Um, so I enjoyed some good success there, riding for David Hayes mostly, but a little bit of freelance as well. I've seen a very famous photo there one year when you're um, sitting up in the back of the paddy wagon. Oh, yeah, we won't go into much about that one. But, um, yeah, um, I suppose everyone has a little bit of misfortune at times in Hong Kong, don't they, Corey? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but, um... Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> No, I know all about it. Um, I, Japan, I, I did enjoy too. I felt like I landed, laid some good foundations to Japan. I um, did a couple of three months stints there. The first one, I didn't have many contacts, but I rode about eight winners and and laid some good foundations. Then went back for a good stable the next year and rode about thirteen winners. And that was before any Aussie jockeys were really known in in Japan. It was the early two thousands, I think. Um, so yeah. And I think I had a fall the year after that, so I never really got a chance to go back when I broke my back. So, um, but moving down the track, I did get a, a ride in a Japan Cup, uh, sorry, in a, in a Melbourne Cup on a Japanese horse that um, narrowly got beaten in Pop Rock. So, um, yeah, I just wish I probably could have um, spent a little bit, gone back again after I'd, um, you know, gone for two years. I thought the third year, if I went back, I, I might have had a little bit more success once again. And what about Ireland? You went over to Ireland or England for a bit of a stint? Yeah, I did. Um, I spent a, a, a summer over there or our winter. Um, it was about 2000. Um, I was going really well um, probably at the height of my career here and I was in my late 20s and I felt something I always wanted to do to go and check it out. So I went to Ireland and had a bit of a contact at um, at Aidan O'Brien's through Coolmore, who Friedman's had some horses with, and I went over there with no guarantees, but um, Mick Canane was riding for them at the time, and I just felt the Irish were really tight, though. We didn't want to let anyone else in, and I had two or three rides from them, but they were like 50 to 100 to one shots in in big races. And Johnny Murta was a good mate of mine. Um, and I wasn't really enjoying my time at Coolmore so much. I was riding out every day and not getting much for it, so I thought, I'm only here for like three months. I wanted to enjoy it a bit as well. So I went and stayed with Johnny and... I was riding out work with Johnny and he was throwing me a few spare rides. I managed to ride about six winners from 30-odd rides, so I yeah, had a little no. bit of success. Um, and I, I rode for probably two months there and then the last month I sort of just took off on a bit of a holiday, went to the Greek islands, went to Wimbledon and, and <laughs> enjoyed a bit around as well. But it was, it was something I'm really glad I did. Um, yeah, I, I went there to have a good crack the first month or two and see how it went and then I just realised it was hard, going to be really difficult to break in. So I, I tried. I made a bit of a holiday the last month of it before I could get back for the spring here. Beautiful. And what about jockeys, mate? Like, obviously you've competed again all over the world and you just named, I reckon, two of the best jockeys I've ever ridden with um, in Mick Canan and Johnny Murtab. Like, you would have seen everyone. Who, who would you say is the best or, you know, like who did you look up to? Or Yeah, well, as I was coming through the ranks, Mick Dittman was the one, was the probably the most... Um, celebrated jockey I would say um, and the Freedmans used to say to me you got to look like not so much look like Mick but you got to be you got to be strong like him in a finish and you got to make a difference in a finish so that that was sort of um, that was probably what the Freedmans put into me as an apprentice coming through but I tried to take a little bit off each jockey um, and I also felt you have to be comfortable on the horse as well because if you're not comfortable on the horse the horse is not going to be comfortable I'm probably not the most polished rider, but then I went to Europe as well and that opened my eyes to some different styles as well, you know, where they're not probably so whip-happy as we were 
yeah. when I started off in the eighties and nineties, and I, you know, I kind of learned to put the whip of the way, the whip away a little bit more in a close finish, and try and push their head down and and get a bit more out of them that way. And I felt, and as you become, the longer you become a jockey, you get the feel for what the horse is responding to as well. So whether that's the whip or hands and heels, um, you get to learn to back your judgment and and the feel the response you're getting back from the horse as well. So, you know, but I think Australian jockeys, you know, without, you know, we've got so many great ones and, I've got, you know, if I name or leave some out, you know, forgive me, but um, I think tactically the, the the tight tracks that we ride on, I think tactically Australian jockeys are some of the best in the world because if you're covering extra ground or getting interference in a race, that's that can cost you in a finish and then you've got to balance that up with getting your horse racing smoothly in the first half of the race, conserving its horse's energy for the finish. So there's a lot of different aspects to it. But I think tactically um, the Aussie jockeys are as good in the world. But then, you know, as you mentioned, Johnny Murta and um, Mick Canane, Frankie Dottore, they're real horsemen as well and they're, they ride on different tracks, big open tracks. So... It's that kind of they work more on the response of the horse and um, <clears throat> just getting the horse in a good rhythm as well because they're riding on a lot of big open tracks and, and generally the better horse will win there, whereas in our tighter tracks uh, in here in Australia, not necessarily all the, be- the best horse will win all the time. Sometimes the best tactical ride can win the race. Now tell me, um, how much longer is left for Damien Oliver? You've been... Mate, you've been around for like a good 30 years. I remember it vividly when I first come to Sydney as a 16-year-old kid and uh, they had this, like a, a guy that take the uh, the photos of the finishes and I, I kept looking at this grey horse, Scalacci. Like I come from the country, I never really knew much about sort of Melbourne jockeys or horses. And I, again, I remember it vividly looking at it and I sort of like idolised you because you're a young guy in a sport where, like you said, Mickey Dittman was sort of dominating um malcolm johnson you know all those sort of older style and you to me you're really young how long have you got left mate you've been going a long while now yeah i have um (laughs) i'm getting asked that question a bit more now i'm getting older um Sometimes when I wake up, I think, oh, geez, I haven't got much longer left and, and I've got a few aches and pains, but then other days I feel really good. So, um, look, I've been doing it so long, it's sort of become part of my life. I still enjoy it. As you know, I'm, I'm not very competitive and uh, I love, uh, yeah, I love yeah, the sure um, competition <laughs> of racing and, and just putting yourself up against, you know, people close to my age, even the young guys and all that, and, and just the thrill of the, the sport every time you line up on a horse. But... Um, to put it in perspective, I, I don't have a finish date. Um, I'm just taking it year by year now. And as the three things that are keeping me going, I think, are motivation as long as I still want to do it, um, how the body's feeling, um, and opportunities as well, um, you know, as long as I'm still riding at a high level and getting some decent rides. So yeah. I think once those things sort of start to wane, I'll, I'll consider um, my future. But as I said, just I don't look too far ahead now. I just look in year by year kind of thing. And I think when I do retire, I think I'll just stop. I don't I don't want to drag out a retirement. I think I'll just um, – Yeah. I think I'll just say that that's it. Yeah. Tell me, um, have you thought – about life after racing other than surfing? <laughs> um, yeah, look, I, I've, I think as I've got older, I've enjoyed the, you know, working with stables and the programming of horses, what where horses might um, be suitable to go. Um, so, you know, something like a racing manager would... Like a yeah, manager's role. Yeah, would be good. Not so much a jockey manager, but more a racing manager 
targeting where horses are well suited that kind of way um there's the media has a possibility as well um so i'd like to stay in the industry in some way um but um probably a less physical role as far as not so much riding but using the um the ip i suppose i've got i've gathered over many years of riding to to help you know, in a, in a different direction as well. Now, right, let's start on the cup, mate. Um, this is what this show is all about. When did it become, again, like a passion or like a real thought, a dream for you to be riding or winning a Melbourne Cup? Well, like every young kid that comes from a racing sort of thing area, you're, um, you have an interest in the Melbourne Cup. But growing up in Perth, I didn't think, you know, it would ever be um, a reasonable possibility for me but then when I moved to Melbourne um, when I was 16 left home and I was riding for the Freedom Start getting some good rides and I picked up my first ride on a 250 to 1 shot in the Melbourne Cup that no one else wanted to ride I think it had about 47 kilos um, that was pretty exciting for us even though I didn't quite make it all the way around <laughs> I got about three quarters of the way around and Richard Jolly fell in front of me and my horse went over the top of him and um, the Freedmans actually quinella that cup with Terrific and Superimposed and the ambulance guys told me and I thought I thought I was pretty concussed when I heard that they <laughs> they had quinella it and I didn't make it around. So I was pretty flat that night, I must say. But from that made me more determined not getting around my first one to one get a you know better ride in it and then try and compete in it. And I think um, that was maybe 1989 or 90, my first ride in it, my first seriously good ride I can think of was um, Paris Lane, I think in 94, uh, that um, he narrowly went down. He won the Caulfield Cup and uh, drew out wide in the Melbourne Cup and Jern beat us that year with Wayne Harris, our good mate, and I was so happy for Wayne. He, he became a good friend and he had some tough times in his career through injuries and, and so forth and I was really happy for him to win it, but then it, it sort of hit me that I ran second. I thought maybe sort of more determined to try and win it the next year and I was lucky enough I got on a great horse in Doremus and I was able to win it the following year. It's Doremus in front inside the 200 metre mark, led by a length to nothing like a Dane giving everything, then quick ran some coach with an vintage crop, but it's all Doremus at the 100, raced away three lengths to nothing like a Dane and then came vintage crop, but Doremus takes the double, Doremus three and a half. Yeah, no, I actually looked at the photos. Um, what about the locks that you had back in those days? <laughs> Haven't got them anymore, mate, I can tell you. It uh, sort of just grows on the side. I don't have to cut it on top much these days. But, um, yeah, it was a bit of a uh, bit of the trend, I suppose, back in the 90s, the long hair. Um, Pat Rafter was a good mate of mine. We both had the long hair and we tried to outdo each other a bit uh, back in those days, I think. I bet you I bet you won. Yeah, I think he, he went off the track, that's for sure. He had me covered. Tell me, um, we're gonna fast forward to 2013. What was it like winning the cup for the the mighty gay waterhouse? Yeah, that was pretty amazing. Um I just came back from um uh, I think ten months off uh, having a, a betting um related suspension. So I didn't have high expectations that year of you know, what I was gonna be able to ride or get on a good good horse. I was just you know, I had to really work hard just to get myself back in and probably get people's trust back in the industry as well. I felt like I'd let myself down and and a lot of people are down with, you know, what I did and um, especially for someone with my my standing in the, in, the, in the game, I felt, you know, I'd built a good rep- reputation over 20-odd years in the industry and then sort of lost it really quick. So I felt I had to do a lot of work to get that trust back and 
Um, I think National Willow was riding the horse and he was sort of based in Sydney and Gay was in Sydney as well and the horse had come down to Melbourne um, to do all his preparation down here and I, and I felt that Gay really wanted someone in Melbourne working with the horse and and on the ground here in Melbourne. So, and, and I knew a few of the owners and um, I was lucky enough to get the ride and I, I did a lot of work with that horse and, you know, he was just a great horse to deal with. He had the best temperament and um, Gay planned and... Uh, worked out that preparation just perfectly and uh I actually got suspended leading up to the Cox Plate so I missed the ride on that and my first ride on the horse in a race was in the Melbourne Cup so but I'd done so much work with him on the track that I had so much confidence in the horse that I was on the right horse that could win it and I just had to execute that ride and and unfortunately it came together so I felt it was really justifying me to win the Melbourne Cup but I really didn't want to make it about me. I was just so happy to be teamed up with Gay and it was a you know monumental effort for her to win the Melbourne Cup because it's something it was a bucket list thing that she hadn't done. So I just took a back seat and um, let let Gay take all the, the credit because, uh, I mean, I was just happy to be back winning such a big race. Lots of jockeys look up to you. Uh, John McNeil said that you uh, congratulated him after the Melbourne Cup last year. Is that important for you, like for the younger guys coming through to, you know, just lift them up? Yeah, I, I think it's, you know, as an older guy in the jockey's room now, you kind of, you see all the range of emotions and, um, <clears throat> you know, the struggles and the triumphs that the jockeys go through. And, and, and as an older person, you've probably been through most of them. So you can see the range of emotions that they've been through. And, um, you know, you can see sometimes when they're, getting a little bit ahead of themselves or, you know, a little bit down on themselves. So you can, it's, as an older person that's been through a lot of that, it's, it's good to either help them or put them in their place, you know, when, when they're, when they're doing the right or wrong thing yeah, or when, you know, things aren't going well or bad for them. Um, so yeah, I, it took me a while to sort of learn that, but um, yeah, I think it's, yeah, as you know, there's great camaraderie in the jockey's room and um, there's always a lot of banter that goes on. And I think if you can help or guide um, the younger guys at different times, as long as they're respectful, I think I'm more than happy to help them. But if they're, you know, if they're, if they're little smart asses, I'm, I'm, I'm happy for them to work it out from the bit themselves and, and through trial and error and, and go their way. But if they if they take on board and they want to listen to what you've got to say, then I'm more than happy to try and help them out. Too good. And tell me, um, I've asked a couple of the other boys, but banter in the jockey's room, larrikins and, you know, lunatics, who would you, who would you rate the highest you've met? Um, well, as you know, probably Noel Callow gets a lot of mentions. But um, I must say since the Mornington Airbnb incident, um, without... Um, Mellum and Zara, it's been a lot quieter in the jock room this spring too. <laughs> I could imagine. I was just saying yesterday to young Joy, um, it's quite uh, it's quite amusing down there in the Melbourne jockeys room watching Zara and Mellum bounce off one another and rip into one another. So, but yeah, I, I oh, think it's hilarious. You know, you think with these blokes when they haven't eaten or been sitting in a sauna and wasting themselves away, that some of the end they wouldn't have much energy. Um, but I think every guy is different the way they get themselves up or feed off the energy of the day, and it's just, um, yeah, it's 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 just uh, quite uh, unique and humorous and, and enjoyable just reading the room sometimes just seeing you know, everyone's emotions are coping today if they're right a winner they're bouncing up here and if they're having a shock they're down here and you know <laughs> that's right there's a lot of mind games going in that jockey room as you know it's definitely a roller coaster let me tell you <laughs>
And Ollie, you've ridden for a lot of time and you would have had plenty of them, but what about sprays from trainers and uh, owners? Have you had many? Or what would be your oh, best? Plenty, mate, over the years. I'm trying to forget some, a lot of them rather than the good ones, uh, the bad ones. But um, well, I go back to the days of Jeff Murphy, um, you know, like, God, that was when I first started. Um, obviously, the Freedies. George Hanlon, he'd be one, he'd be, he'd be pulling, pulling you by the jumper and kicking you with the other leg. Um, <laughs> John Sadler, he's right up there. Now let's go back to Media Puzzle, mate. Um, I would say for me this would probably be one of the biggest moments on the race course that I've ever experienced. I've never been more happier to run second in a race, but that day that Media Puzzle won after all the circumstances that you're dealing with, I, I, mate, how, how did you deal with that? Yeah, it was, it was really emotional, mate. Uh, it was tough. Um, losing my brother in the week leading up to the cup. Um, first I had to deal with, if I was going to be up with the emotion to be able to ride the horse. Did it ever cross your mind that you, that you, you know, di- you didn't want to ride the horse or you didn't think you were going to? It did, yeah, for sure. And probably the, one of the things that really got to me was what would people think if I did ride it um, because, you know, they felt what I would be cold or, or you know, would it, would it be the wrong thing to do? Um, but I had, I had a close discussion with my mum and what kept coming back to both of us was um, that if I didn't ride it, um, that my brother or all he would have been thinking is, you bloody idiot, what are you doing? You should be riding that horse, you know, because it was through him I actually came to Melbourne to um, – to ride, he he came over a few years before I did. You know, rode a few winners for the Freedmans, got a bit homesick, and and didn't quite adapt to Melbourne at the time. But he was hit through his experience that he said the timing that when I should go to Melbourne, when I had some claim left, and and the Freedmans were getting bigger at the time, and you know, it was it was through him, you know, that that really laid laid the foundations for me to to have the successful career that I have you know and he taught me a lot as a, as a jockey as well so you know that was the main thing I wanted to do just to to do it for him um and it's as long as I could deal with the emotions and uh and also and just execute it as well because I at the time I was probably at the peak of my career you know I had I think I had eight or nine rides derby day a lot of you know probably three quarters of those would have been favorites or good chances and and similar again uh, on Cup Day. So I didn't want to let other people down as well. Um, so I decided to ride on Derby Day and Cup Day for that matter. And then I'd fly back to Perth Wednesday for the funeral of my, from my brother. Um, so I ride on Derby Day. I think I had one placing out of eight or nine rides and I was, I was really starting to question myself, have I made the right call here? And um, I felt I rode all right. Um, you know, they get the odd unlucky one, but that can happen on it on any time. Um, but, you know, as you go up and down that race with 100,000 people there at Flemington, I, I was getting a lot of support from people. So um, yeah. that gave me good uh, good heart that I was I was doing the right thing, but I just things just weren't happening for me. Um, so then I get to Cup Day and I, I'm, I first three or four rides again, I – you know, hardly run a place or something. I might have run a place and um, still questioning whether I'd made the right call. I was riding my brother Silks and um, so I still get a bit emotional talking about it. But um, Yeah, oh, mate, you're doing the same to me. <laughs> all I could keep thinking was, you know, that he, he was he was riding with me and um, 
And I've got to say, I've never ridden a Melbourne Cup that's gone so smoothly for me in that race. I just was like, I was in a world of my own. Nothing was around me. Um, the horse, I knew the horse had a great chance. I thought he could win the Cup after his Geelong Cup win. Um, and I just felt the horse was going to win so far out from home. And, you know, I straightened up and only thing is I thought, well, oh, geez, I've got here a bit soon. But um, I just felt I was going to win. I think you, you came second to me that year, didn't you? Yeah, I, think? I run second in the race. Like I said, I've never been happy to run second, but... That, that, that race call is so iconic, you know, like to, to watch you, you know, blow a kiss to Jason and uh, even now it gives me shivers. But... but Damien Oliver riding with the spirit of Jason out by three on Media Puzzle. I think he's got the cup one. Beekeeper Mr. Prudenter running on from Vinnie Ray, but it's Media Puzzle clear and Media Puzzle. Damien and Dermot have done it. The, the, the best one for me, like that whole day, is when you trotted up beside Letsy and you said, it's going to be hard to hold this together, mate. We're ready to go, Damien. This one meant a lot to you, didn't it, the Melbourne Cup? It did, Johnny. Um, it's going to be hard to keep this together. I know it is, mate, but the, the Australia and the world with you. Yeah, mate. Melbourne Cups don't mean a thing to me anymore. I give it back right now to have my brother back. You know, like that to me, even now, like I gives me goosebumps. Like how how you overcome those emotions to talk the way you did, mate. It was yeah, it was a very special moment for me anyway. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, it's still difficult to talk about it and it gets me really emotional and um, yeah, when you when you lose a brother that's close to you like that and um, you don't get a chance to sort of say goodbye, it's uh, pretty hard. But um <laughs> yeah, but no, I don't want to. I don't want to upset you anymore, mate. Do you ever like? Yeah, just... ever watch? Because I watched the when I asked you to come on the podcast, I went back and obviously watched the videos and stuff like that. Do you ever go back and relive it every now and again, like just to just to touch on it? Like... Oh, not really. It's um, it's every time I watch it, it still brings back the raw emotions, and um, it's it was a difficult moment to enjoy because it wasn't so much you know the other cups were all jubilation and you're uh, you really enjoy the moment that. Yeah. That moment still is raw for me, and it's it's more memories of losing my brother than actually winning the cup. Even though it's a um, it was a great legacy to him and a great moment, it's um, it's still it's still very difficult for me to enjoy. Yeah, well, mate, I'm going to say thank you very much for coming on the podcast again. You're an absolute legend, Ollie. You should be proud, mate. Thanks, Brownie, and um, it's been a pleasure to ride with you, mate, throughout your career. You're a fine jockey as well, and. Um, I feel for you, you couldn't go out on your terms, but um, mate, you're a great jockey too and a good friend and um, I wish you all the best for wherever the future takes you, mate. Yes, brother. Thanks a lot, mate. Good on you, mate.